with the Holy Spirit. So let us have ears to hear, our hearts to be open to what he has to say, God. And just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> okay. Good morning, church. It's, good to, it's really good to be here this morning. Um, if you would open up your Bible to 1 Corinthians 12, verse 27. Now you are the body of Christ, and individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, and then miracles and gifts of healings and helping and administra administrating and various kinds of tongues. Is everyone apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all possess gifts of healing? Do all speak with gifts of tongues? Do all interpret? But earnestly desire the higher gifts. And yet, I will show you a more excellent way. So the question I want to ask is what is the more excellent way? A more excellent way to do what? What is Paul what does Paul want to highlight? What is this more excellent way? It's a more excellent way to live out the gifts of the Spirit in the local assembly. Just to be 100% clear, I deeply desire every gift of God that he wants to give me from the Holy Spirit. I want to walk in all the fullness of those gifts personally I want this church to walk in all of the fullness of those gifts. But I'm realizing in my own life more and more that there's a critical component that if we miss it, it will be devastating to our lives personally and to our church community. Many of you have probably read the book... Uh, Seeking Allah, Finding Jesus by Nabil Qureshi. Does that, does that sound familiar? If you haven't, read the book. It's a fantastic book. One of the things that stood out to me was Nabil's friend, David Wood, in this book, um, who over a period of per, uh, multiple years, maybe at least a year, uh, in love, just served Nabil. Just served him. Just met with him for lunch, day after day, serving this man. And out of curiosity, one day I said, huh, I wonder who David Wood was. Who was this man? And so I did some research and found who David Wood was, or who David Wood is. And David Wood is now Dr. David Wood, um, but he wasn't always Dr. David Wood. And if you've never heard the story of David Wood, um, text me and I'll send you the YouTube uh, interview. It is unbelievable what this man has walked through. But uh, ultimately, he found Jesus because of a man named Randy who shared his cell 
in maximum security prison where David Wood was serving because he attempted to murder his father. Somewhere behind Randy, there's another man. I don't know who this man is, but somewhere behind Randy, there's another man. But the common thread between all of these men is that they let the love of God flow through them and flow through their gifts that God had given them. The gifts of teaching, of, of speaking, of serving. They let the love of God flow through them. And no one knew. Randy didn't know. And his, when they were sitting in their cell block, Randy had no idea that he was going to impact David Wood, that David Wood was going to become a profound uh, apologist and teacher and preacher, that David Wood was going to one day reach a man named Nabil Qureshi who was a Muslim, and then Nabil Qureshi would then tour the world telling people about Jesus. Randy didn't know that. He was a criminal in maximum security prison. But he let the love of God change him and change David Wood, and David Wood served Nabil, and now we have a book called Seeking Allah, Finding Jesus. And that is essentially what Paul is saying in 1 Corinthians 13. Paul mocks the operation of spiritual gifts without love. That's what Paul is doing. Just read it. Read the first verse, 1 Corinthians 13. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, and yet I don't have love. Just like somebody banging on a piece of metal. That's what Paul says. He mocks the operation of the gifts of the Spirit in the absence of love. Paul showcases the inherent codependency of walking in spiritual gifts, and operating in love. Recurring through the, ch through, uh, the chapter, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, 14, and 15 are these themes. Everything should be done to build up. No one should ever say, I don't need you. That I and you should exercise our gifts to build up the church. And since we're eager to be filled with the Spirit, then we should excel first in building this church. That everything should be done uh, decently in order so that we can correctly build the church. The bottom line is this, that spiritual gifts are not an end unto themselves. They're not something we seek just to achieve, check the box of being filled with the Spirit and possessing some particular gift. There's something to be... They, Spiritual gifts are something to be pursued for the sake, uh, uh, they are not something to be pursued for the sake of claiming the prize, but rather they're something that God wants to give us to the extent that our motives are pure in building his body. So if you would, stand with me, and we're going to read 1 Corinthians chapter 13. I'm reading from the ESV, so if you don't have an ESV, then whatever, it's close enough. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, you can read with me, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all that I have 
And if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will end or pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now, we see in in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So now, faith, hope, and love abide, these three, but the greatest of these is love. Can be seated. In this chapter, 1 Corinthians 13, which is potentially one of the most widely used texts about love. Um, In the first three three verses, verses one through three, Paul exposes the fact that spiritual gifts without love have no value and no purpose and they make a mockery of God. Spiritual gifts without love have no value, no purpose, and make a mockery of God. That's the first three verses. He, Paul uses a mechanism of hyperbole. He's basically exaggerating, because in reality, there's no one without love that operates in this way, most likely. But yet, Paul's saying, even if there were, even if you had faith that were so intense and so powerful that you could order mountains to move, that even if you had that, That faith would be useless if it wasn't accompanied by genuine love. But then you have to ask, what is love? Um, And we have a lot of answers to that in in, in secular society. We know that's something that is commonly thrown about. What is love? But So Paul then fills in the blanks. How do we put more concrete thoughts and actually build a framework around this concept that in our Western world most of the time seems like nothing more than just a warm, fuzzy feeling. Specifically, how do we walk out love inside of a biblical community? And then in verses 8 through 12, Paul's making the argument that love is going to continue operating. Love will continue to be in existence. Even after spiritual gifts have outlived all usefulness, love will continue. In the coming age, there's going to be no need for prophecy. There's going to be no need for uh, a healing. There's going to be no need for working of miracles. But the love that God has placed in our hearts now, we will continue to walk out for all of eternity. Love remains when all else ceases. And then verse 13, to recap, Paul says, listen, if I have to choose between faith, hope, and love all day long, it's going to be love because it has the highest return on investment in the kingdom. So today I want to focus mostly on verses 4 through 7. What is love? And before 
I get into that, I want to go to another text about love, or another text that talks about love, and that's in Matthew 22, verses 37 to 39. You don't have to turn there. I'm going to read it. He says, Jesus said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul and your mind. This is the greatest and first commandment. The second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. How many loves are discussed in that passage? Kind of a trick question. Anybody want to? We won't throw you out if you give the wrong answer. How many love? You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. Love your neighbor as yourself. How many loves are discussed in that passage? Five or six. Okay. Anybody have a different answer? One. Is that John? Okay. Well, um, I, won't, I won't put you on the spot any further. So there is an argument that says this. That there are three loves in this passage. There's the love of God. There's the love of neighbor. And there's the love of self. Who has heard that argument? Raise your hand. I just want to know if I'm alone. All right, I'm almost alone, but there's a few of those, few of you here with me. So I want to address that argument because I think it's relevant, and I could be wrong, but humor me for a second. So the argument is this, that obviously love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. That's self-explanatory. Love your neighbor the way that you love yourself. So the argument flows that if you're supposed to love your neighbor, love others the way you love yourself, that you first need to love yourself rightly in order to love your neighbor well. And I used to agree with that position to a large extent in many ways. But the longer I live and the more I study the Bible and immerse myself in it, the more I'm becoming increasingly convinced that that is not the right argument. Uh, and that I disagree with that argument more than I agree with it. The right way to love your neighbor is not to rightly love yourself. And here's why. And, and this is important. Um, this is an important part of the foundation I'm trying to build. So it's not an unnecessary rabbit trail, I don't think. But self-love is never commanded in Scripture. Never. Never in Scripture is there one command to love yourself. It is always assumed. There is a basic assumption that everyone is, 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 will take care of themselves. They will look out for themselves. There's this basic, basic assumption. Uh, husbands, love your wife how? The way you love yourself. Um, so maybe we do need to exclude psychopaths from that general statement. But in general, people love themselves. And, and people that overwork and overextend themselves. So the argument of love yourself first is like putting on your own oxygen mask first. You know, it's that, that kind of a concept. Um, but the, if, you're, if you're constantly overworking and overextending yourself in order to love others well, uh, that's not an example of someone who needs to first learn how to love themselves first so that they can love others well. Um, um, it, it's, it's, it's not more self-love that anyone needs. It is an understanding of God-given 
truth, restraint, and priority about my identity that's required. It's not more self-love. So the reason I'm trying to dig into this is because I want to be clear that self-love is never commanded, but alignment with truth is. In order for me to love myself rightly, in order for me to love you well, and in order for me to love God rightly, I must align myself to the truth of who does God say that I am? Who does God say that you are? And who has he revealed himself to be? That is foundational to correct love. I see puzzled looks on some of your faces. So this probably got way too technical. Um, but but uh, I, hopefully you're following along with me. Um, self-love is specifically denounced and specifically rejected in Scripture. Whoever comes after me must hate his own life. Now, we can dig into that statement separately um, if you're confused by it. That does not mean you walk around with self-hatred. I just want to make sure that's clear. Um, uh, Second Timothy clearly says, in the last days, people will become lovers of self. And that was not a positive statement that Paul was extolling there. So the, the reason I'm, I'm trying to dig, like, really highlight this is because in the time that we live in, there is, there is an incredible amount of, we'll say, um, maybe emotional intelligence. Um, there's a lot of talk about being emotionally healthy and, uh, um, you know, boundaries. And, man, we, can, we, we, we know how to psychoanalyze people to the nth degree. We have Enneagrams and, uh, uh, goodness, disc assessments, and we know what everybody is naturally geared to, to and how we operate and how, you know, our natural frame of, of reference to things. And, and listen, I want to say I love it all. I, I enjoy that. I, I'm not against it. But those things can turn into a big, fat excuse that give me a justification for not loving you well. Listen, I'm not naturally an, an, an extrovert, and so it's not my fault if you don't feel comfortable in church on a Sunday morning, because I'm just not that way. That, that can be a big excuse for me, when maybe in reality, what God wants to do is allow me to see my need of him in allowing him to work through me to love other people well. I hope that makes sense to you. Um, uh, so, I think sometimes we need to set aside our defenses and our excuses. And I need to. I'm, I'm speaking to myself first. Set aside our excuses and defenses so that we can properly hear, what, what does the Holy Spirit want to speak to me inside of this? How does God want to speak to me through 1 Corinthians 13 today? None of us will ever, none of us will ever love perfectly. But instead of finding all of the reasons that we can't, maybe we should lean on the grace of God to empower us to love in ways we didn't know we could. Love, according to Eugene Peterson in his paraphrase, love never gives up. Love cares more for others than for self.
Love doesn't want what it doesn't have. Love does not strut. Love doesn't have a swelled head. Love doesn't force itself on others. It isn't always me first. It doesn't fly off the handle. It doesn't keep score of the sins of others. It doesn't revel when others grovel. Love takes pleasure in the flowering of truth and it puts up with anything. Love trusts God always. It always looks for the best. It never looks back, but it keeps on going to the end. Love is patient and kind. It does not envy or boast. It's not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. At the foundation of our Christian faith, we have sacrifice, foundational to our faith. Our, our faith lives and breathes sacrifice. We have a God who sacrificed, and he requires no less from his followers. And when you and I commit to the path of love, we also commit ourselves to the path of suffering because our Father did. And unless I'm willing to discard my cloak of pride and selfishness and wear the towel of servanthood, of sacrifice and humility, all of the spiritual gifts in the world will be of no use for me. Love doesn't make social media posts in order to flaunt in, some, in front of someone else. Love doesn't do that. Yet social media has created a contagion, a, a, an environment that's rich for me to walk in uh, creating the opposite of love in other people. Where I can boast in front of a world who want, and make a world want what I have. Love does not enjoy discussing the failures of other people. It doesn't enjoy that at all. Yet sometimes I enjoy discussing those failures because it makes me feel better about myself. It makes me feel better to know that, that there are, there's people in the world that are worse off than I am. Love doesn't get snappy when it comes home from work. I'm sure none of you do that. But I know I have. Love doesn't give up. Love doesn't give up on someone. And, and maybe, maybe you have forgiven and forgiven and forgiven. But love will find the grace to do it one more time. Love doesn't talk about my success under the guise of some spiritual thing. Love doesn't look at the spiritual gifts of someone else and resent them because of it. Love also doesn't operate their spiritual gift and look down on everyone else because they don't have it. 
Love does not always have to win. Love does not figure out how to talk about other people in the form of a prayer request. I don't know about you, but as you think about the biblical definition of love, I am confident that there's nobody in this room that would stand up and say, that's me. I've got it. And if there is, then we would probably refer them to maybe the statement about love is not arrogant. I don't know. But no one here says that they've thoroughly mastered this. And I think we will always, we will never say, yes, I've got it. Um, I've got it in the bag. It's done. And there will probably always be some level of selfishness wrapped up in our love. Um, and that's, I'm not going to say that's okay, but I think it is expected because of our, the, the, the human condition that we find ourselves in. To make this maybe a bit more personal, you know, just thinking through the phrase, love does not envy or boast. I know Eric was here, um, you know, a few months back and had just a great season of, of, of um, teaching about spiritual gifts. And I, I, to be quite honest with you, I wouldn't say I got jealous of that, but it was, it was I certainly um, got a little bit like, hey, if I'm not going to have that spiritual gift, then I'm just giving up. I'm just like, what's the point? What's the point in trying? I, I found myself diving into tremendous discouragement because I did not, I, I wanted something that God had not given me, just to be completely honest. I compared myself with someone else and found dissatisfaction. I'm sure all of us, if we are honest, if we compare ourselves against the scriptural teachings of what love is, we would find ourselves, in our, within ourselves, we would find a gap. There's a, we're, we're not there. The, the standard for love is high. And then we, you know, Hayden, I appreciate what you shared this morning, but then we find ourselves just going like, it's, it's heavy. Like, I can never get it. I get, what do you mean? I gotta, there's another rung for me to climb, and it's a, it, it can become a burden to us. But I have really good news for you. And this is the good news that I need. God is patient and kind. He doesn't envy or boast, nor is he arrogant or rude. God does not insist on his own way. He will freely let you go your own. He isn't ir irritable or resentful. He does not rejoice at your wrongdoing. He rejoices with truth. God has borne everything. He's borne it all. He holds all things together, and he grants belief and hope to everyone who calls on him. His love has endured all things. If God is love, then 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 7, is a description of the man that we call Father. I, sorry, I shouldn't have said that. Of the God we call Father. 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 7 is, is a description of our Heavenly Father. And if we happen to have not had the best model 
of what does love look like, we can look at this not as a recognition or as an admission of the tremendous deficit that we find in our lives, but as a demonstration of who our Father is and who we have the pleasure of being called beloved son or daughter by. So at the risk of stating the obvious, foundational to the right operation of the gifts of the Spirit is the love of God. God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, whom he has given to us, according to Romans 5.5. Nothing will kill our joy in the Holy Spirit like trying to operate in the gifts devoid of love. And I believe nothing empowers the gifts of the Spirit in their effectiveness more than the revelation of our identity as a beloved son. We don't learn to love by looking at where we have failed to love well. That's not the way we learn to love. We learn to love by surrendering to the lover of our souls. We will never, none of us will ever love perfectly. Hayden, you're never going to love perfectly. There will always be some kind of selfishness wrapped up in our love. But that does not mean that we cannot love well. And that does not mean that there's no point in trying. There are people in this room that your spiritual gift will never touch until the love of God in you touches them first. I don't know if you, if anyone listens to the... Um, compelled podcast I suggested, but I love that podcast, highly recommend it. And the, a common theme that I just, it's just so fascinating to me. I, I don't know if I've ever heard one person that it, that, I don't know. I'm going to be careful there. I, I'm going to leave that alone. My, my, what I was going to say is, it seems to me that the love of God operating in a person opens the door for your spiritual gifts to impact them. And I'm not going to say that that's always the cart and the horse, but you know maybe sometimes, maybe sometimes there's you know a tremendous healing that can happen, and then God's love can can be felt and experienced, and I, that I'm sure that's a real thing too. Um, it seems like that there's normally a, 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 a uh, an avenue where people experience the love of God through you, and then experience the gift that God has given to you. Every person around you, every person, I believe, is looking for a revelation of the love of God. And today, that revelation of the love of God may very well be you. The question is, will we miss it? We don't have to recognize it. We don't have to step into it. We don't have to walk in it. But we, we, we can miss it. A while back, I, I, um, somebody sarcastically, I asked somebody how they were doing, and they sarcastically said, never been better. And it suddenly dawned on me that what if that can be a true statement? What if that's true? Never been better. So, 
Some of you have noticed that, or probably, you know, called me out and rolled your eyes a bit because I've said, you've asked me, hey, Luke, how you doing? Never been better. But I can assure you that um, when I say that, it's true. It's not sarcastic. It's a huge mistake to think that just because I stand up here and monologue for 60 minutes that somehow I'm in a different league than you, because I'm not, and I can assure you of that. There's a decent chance that maybe I'm the least qualified person in this room to stand up here and talk to you about love. Me saying I've never been better does not mean I'm on some spiritual trajectory that you just haven't encountered yet and that... I am every day of my life climbing this hill and man, it's getting better and my maturity and my, my, my ability and my satisfaction with life has reached new levels every single day. That's not what it means. Doesn't mean that my bliss is increasing with every passing minute. It means this, that God is good all the time. And that my week could involve walking through hell and yet today finds me one step closer to looking into the eyes of perfect love. One day I'm going to hear the words, Luke, beloved son, well done. You were faithful to me. Well done. Every day finds me one day closer to that end. And because of that, I have never been better. One day, I will experience perfect love. I'm not going to stare through a fog dimly, see through a glass darkly. One day, I'm going to be known. I'm going to know as I have been known. And that is the day I'm looking forward to. That is what makes me today Never been better. That's it. Okay. Thank you for listening to me today. I want to pray and dismiss this, if you would stand. Um, but I would say, um, I just want to say this, that um, if the Holy Spirit spoke to you today in the way that he often does, and you're saying, you know what, there is a way that I need to experience the love of the Father so that I can love well. Or there's a way that I need to repent for the ways that I've justified my lack of loving well. I had to to apologize this week for things I said that just didn't didn't, didn't communicate the best. It's it's part part of our humanity. We are dust. So I would say if there is 
something that you just want to talk to God about, come up here and come up here and pray. Um, let's do that. This, this place is open. God has been doing so much in so many of our lives, and I am so deeply appreciative of that fact. Like, it's not my words today that really do anything. It's the Holy Spirit speaking them into your heart and going like, ah, and you're saying, mm, yep, this is, this is another rep in the gym. This is another opportunity for me to grow. This is another moment for me to listen to the voice of the Father. Um, so just encourage you, uh, uh, bring it to God. Just, just lay it before him. Uh, Lord, we are so incredibly grateful um, for the tremendous love of our Father, that your love is patient and kind. And we have all received of that love, grace upon grace. I pray that our walking in the gifts of the Holy Spirit can be characterized by a new kind of love, by a new stepping into love that we didn't even know we had the capacity for. Not as the world defines love, but as you have defined it, as you have even walked it out yourself. Thank you so much for this church. Thank you for the way that we can honor you and encourage each other. I pray, keep working here. Do your work in our hearts. We love you. Um, Bless, bless each one, bless each marriage, each family, um, bless each heart that is, is, uh, feels like they're in, in maybe in, uh, maybe there's just discouragement. And God, I, they're feeling like I've, they've tried and tried and the bar is too high. I pray that there would be a revelation of your burden is light We love you, and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.